Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the October 2, 2022 session, focusing on Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. Live, love, serve. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm David Adams. Bert is away this week, and so we're excited to have David Adams back with us today. And we continue in the book of Luke. But before we get into David's exciting intro, I wanted to ask you, of course, a question. And that is, what is a task that you sometimes have to do, but you're not really very excited about it? I don't know why it is, but unloading the dishwasher (laughs) is the least... I would rather repave the driveway. I mean, (laughs) it it is... I don't know why I hate that job so much. I do it and I grumble, but yeah, yeah. you know, I do it, but I, and I, I, it always is easier than I think it will be once I get started. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it's still not a favorite. (laughs) I'm with you, man. In a similar vein, putting the clothes away after they've been folded. Mm. Mm. Like I just, I've done all this work. They should just put themselves away. <laughs> it's really disrespectful that they don't. So, yeah, it's it's putting the clothes. I, I mean, I definitely jive with the uh, putting away the dishes thing. But also, I hate putting away the clothes after they've been folded. I want to give you a controversial one. And that is going to church on Sunday morning. Okay. Wow, we're it's going there. It's not about being at church. It's not about the people, what I do when I get there. It's the act of going. Hmm. That it's, you know, you have to get up and you get dressed and get in your car and drive someplace. And I understand this. Yeah. I understand this. This makes sense to me. I mean, I was, I was about to tell my church people, I, I always love leaving you people. <laughs> because when you drive off on Sunday morning, after you've been together with everybody, you worship and done things, you're feeling really good. But man, when you're going in, you just don't feel that good because it's it's the chore that you had to get up and do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's honest, man. <laughs> but Ed, but you do it, and that's the good thing. Yep. <laughs> well, gosh, I, I could really list a lot of things for this. Um, vacuuming would be high on the list. I would rather unload the dishwasher than vacuum. Ooh. I do not like vacuuming. Mm. Now that is controversial. Yeah. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> no, I just... Okay. <laughs> I also don't like doing taxes every year. Oh, there's a good one. Yeah. It's a really so, good one. Anyway. But hey, we, we do them, right? We do. Usually. Well, we are in Luke chapter 17 this week. And... Uh, an interesting and probably not very familiar passage. David, would you help us get started? Sure. Every now and then, if you read the Bible often enough, you come across what we call a difficult passage. You know the type. It could be something from Habakkuk. Maybe it's something from the Italian prophet Malachi. Perhaps it's a deep cut from a book like Tobit, which is in the Bible Jesus quoted, but may not be in yours. It might even be one of those New Testament passages, like the ones found in Mark, that aren't in every Bible. Whatever the case, you can usually tell that you're on to a difficult passage when you realize that you rarely, if ever, 
hear sermons that feature it. Of course, some passages aren't considered difficult because they're particularly obscure or hard to reference. Some of them become difficult because we really don't like what they say, whether it's the point that they make or the way they make it. Uh, for instance, Exodus 22:21 states, you shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. And this is one of the many passages telling us that we are supposed to uphold the humanity of people from other countries who live among us. I can think of a lot of churches where that message isn't preached very often these days. It's difficult to hear what God has to say when it reminds us of an uncomfortable moment in which we find ourselves. Today's passage from Luke 17 is one of those difficult ones. Jesus starts by telling us that just a little faith can enable us to rid ourselves of these mulberry trees that plague us. But he immediately segues in talking about how people treat slaves. Slaves! We generally don't like it when that word is used. It instantly flashes us back to the troubled and ongoing history of our dehumanizing and abusing other people. It makes us wonder if people will get angry with us when we go there. It doesn't put us in a position to say nice things. So it was, when I read this passage, I immediately turned to my trusty biblical and Greek commentaries just to see how they handled it. I didn't have much luck. The best bits I was able to come away with were that we deserve to be treated like slaves, that the Greek word for mulberry is sycamore, and that A.T. Robertson, who is not the best person to say this, indicated that Jesus was telling people that a slavish attitude would not get us anywhere, whether in business nor in faith. Again, I'm not comfortable with some early 20th century white man talking about a slavish attitude. But with some translation of what we might say over 100 years later, I think I get what he has to say. Let's start, however, with the one thing I think we should emphasize in reading passages of this sort. Nothing in this passage indicates Jesus' acceptance or advocacy of enslaving people. It's just not something that's consistent with Jesus' teaching, and there's no good reason for twisting this passage in that direction. So instead of using such unacceptable terms for understanding this passage, let's turn to something that actually applies to our current historical moment quiet quitting. In case you've not heard of this, quiet quitting is when you work at a job, but you're not really feeling good about working at that job. You're not motivated. You don't feel rewarded for your efforts. You don't really want to work there, but you need the money. As a result, you do the bare minimum required to satisfy your explicit job requirements, but not much else. One great example of this is in the movie Office Space, where the main character speaks to the team brought in to begin firing the staff. He tells them that his main motivation at work is to not be hassled, which he admits will make someone do just enough to not get fired. When you view it with this lens, the passage is a lot less difficult. The initial request to Jesus, increase our faith is something that the requester should understand is their responsibility instead of Jesus's. Jesus picks this up and goes a little further when he remarks that even a little faith does a lot, and that merely doing the bare minimum that faith calls you to do doesn't earn you a place at the table. In that light, Jesus is calling out those who had quiet quit on him by doing the bare minimum required to call themselves his followers, telling them that 
just doing what you're expected is not enough. And this begs the question about our own participation in faith. Organized religion has a fatal flaw in that it sets certain expectations for everyone. Faith can quickly become a matter of saying the right things, being in the right places, or participating in the right initiatives. We often find ourselves doing just enough to meet the expectations of a given church or a given denomination or a given faith leader. But what are we doing to ensure that we exceed such expectations? How do we know that we're doing more than merely what's expected of us? And who has the right to tell us what's expected anyway? Maybe faith, as it turns out, is a, about a little more than fulfilling an obligation. Maybe it contains an element of constantly pushing the envelope, constantly reaching higher, and looking to discover what Jesus sees in us when he calls us in the first place. Our God is a God of wonder and surprise. We celebrate when God showers love and grace upon us, especially when we didn't see it coming. But what are we doing to surprise God? How can we top ourselves in showing a bit more grace, a bit more love, a bit more faith? What sorts of plans are we making to show God that there is yet more faith in us than anyone has a right to expect and that we intend to bring it out? There's a lot more to faith than just doing what we are ordered to do. And we have some mulberry trees that need to be moved. Thanks, David. I appreciate your Bible background there. The first thing that that sort of occurs to me is this, you know, this this mustard seed faith is really um, an antidote to, if, if I'm honest, the way that I often approach, you know, living out a life of faith and certainly, you know, my own ministry. If I could only preach like this person, if I could only, you know, if I have as much faith as that person, if if my prayers were as theologically rich and engaging as this other person's, then even when it comes to matters of faith, we engage in competition, you know, or if if our if only our church could do what the church down the road is doing. Um and and this mustard this idea of mustard seed faith is it really it negates all that kind of thing. It's it's not about having the biggest, the best, the most entertaining, whatever, but about tr being true to your own calling in even the smallest ways, and it will make the biggest difference. That's, that's sort of, you know, the first thing that comes to mind here. Yeah, and I, I pick up on it on not just doing what's expected, because everybody can do what's expected of them, you know, it, but what's expected of you or what, what you do may be different from what you might expect from somebody else. You know, that big church down the street, you might have different expectations for than just the person who comes to church, regular person who struggles in faith and just wishes they could do better. It's the wishing they can do better that becomes the important part. And I didn't mention this before, but when I'm when I was reading some of the um, commentary on this, and there's very little. Uh, one of the things they pointed out was the question that's asked of them about Jesus, give us a little more faith. Uh, mm -hmm. The Greek tenses that were used there are used in such a way as to basically say, this is a question that answers itself. 
This is not really a legitimate question. This is one where the Greek tenses used indicate that the person asking the question or the person asking Jesus for this should know that it's already been provided. And so it's more of what we would call rhetorical question even. We should know this already, but Jesus has to stop and remind us. It all seems very anti-American. I mean, I feel like in the United States, and I'm sure other places are the same, all of our motivation is about more and bigger and better. And it's produce, 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 produce. And it doesn't matter what field you're in. I've talked to therapist friends and friends who are in for-profit companies, corporate America, and people who are doing really good ministry and nonprofit work and church ministers. And the name of the game is how much more can you do? How much more can you produce? And I think here, Jesus is reminding us that I don't know. Maybe it's as simply as it's quality, not quantity. Yeah, maybe he's asking the question, how much more can you grow? Mm, Which is, what, it's a lot different from producing. Right. Uh, and it, It's weird, but I'm preaching a sermon on Sunday based on the premise uh, found in a book by Philip Gully, where he says, if the church were a Christian, it'd be a lot more concerned with helping people reach their potential and a lot less concerned with supporting an institution. You know, our human needs are more important than institutional needs. And I, I think you're right, Nikki, this is an American thing. We, okay, we have an institution. We have to produce because that's what the institution demands of us. Right. More, 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 more. Let's dig into that. We never stop talking about how do we find in ourselves that little mustard seed that we need and how do we nurture that and make that help us grow? as opposed mm-hmm. to feeding things into that hungry maw that always wants more and is never going to be satisfied with what we give it. Right. It just continues to be empty. But but I do I do like the distinction that was made by both of you about the difference between quantity and quality. It's, I think there's there's something to talk about there because you know, my mind too immediately, you know, we're talking about, you know, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, well, that's, you know, I feel kind of bad because it doesn't seem like very much. A mustard seed's tiny, and I can't make a tree go jump in the ocean with my faith. So I think, you know, well, how do I get more? What are the things I need to do? And it, and that's probably the wrong question, right? It, it's, it's more about how do I grow, deepen, uh, enrich faith? And those are different kinds of questions than than necessarily this doing approach that we automatically arrive with. Yeah. And, and there's even another metaphor or parable Jesus uses about the mustard seed, pointing out that it is a very, very, very small thing. But when nurtured properly, it grows to be enormous. It also causes me to think of that passage where Jesus tells us to offer a cup of cold water. And I think, yeah, I have the same reaction to that. Really? That's it? It's all we have to do is offer a cup of cold water. Wow, all the faith we have to have is is just that of the, you know, size of a mustard seed. And 
And I think, yeah, that that is, that may not be all that we do because of our faith, but that's that's all that's required. Because when we do those small things, they end up being not so small things after all. And I'm, I'm struggling to think of an example, but it's someone who rings your doorbell and leaves a casserole on the porch when your mama dies. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of this, but the, you know, the, the old ladies who slip you gum at church, <laughs> you know, it's it, the small things are never end up being small. It's, it's those things which like the mustard seed turns out to be something really incredible. Hmm. And I think part of the, Part of the beauty of what you're describing is that when we make these small acts of grace and kindness and love to others, we don't know what's going to grow out of those, right? Mm. I mean, mm. often, you know, that is the trust, that is the uh, the trusting that God is going to take these actions and do something with them That that is more than what we would do. This morning, um, I got to work. I work at a seminary and an alumni came by and I work with alumni, but I was very happy because this alumni happened to be somebody I graduated with. His name is Jesse Togbedoya. Some of you may know him. Um, he is from Liberia. He came to the United States um, after great conflict in Liberia that he was kind of caught in as a child and ended up being... Um, trained at the same seminary as me. And then the way it all worked out is he went back to his home village to start some ministries that would help them. And so I got, and that was <clears throat> 15 <clears throat> years ago, at least. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he has been doing that work for a decade and a half. And I remember hearing a good bit about it at the beginning, and it was a hard road. It was difficult because it was a very small village. They don't have electricity there. I mean, it's, and he went back to figure out how to bring them clean water and education and ministry and care. And so I got to see him today. And I said, tell me what's going on with you. Are you still doing the Liberia work? tell me what's happening. And then he told me they, he gave me the website of the nonprofit and he told me that there is an orphanage with 127 children and there is a library and they've expanded into a second village where they're doing all of this humanitarian work. And he was describing to me how he shares about the love of Christ through cell phones and an app. And he can provide Bibles in the village language, um, not just, um, it is in the people's language that they speak every day. And it was such a joy to listen to everything he had going. And I can't help but think about him and his faith that I imagine felt like the size of a mustard seed when he began all of this. And so I wonder if when we try to say we need more, 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 what's really needed is consistency, showing up day after day, 
to do the work, never letting that mustard seed faith fall, just holding on to it and letting it be enough so that 15, 20 years down the line, we can kind of look back and see all that God has done with the little that we had. Did that fit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're thinking, you know, it's the little things that count, the little unimpressive things that count, not the big impressive things that you're expected to do. It's the unexpected little things that no one notices you did. Yeah. That's what really counts. Well, I mean, if we, if we think about it, there so much of our lives are made up of what we might consider little things, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes toward the end of a calendar year, um, because I, you know, I'm also in the academic world and there's kind of a rhythm to it and things tend to slow down around uh, Advent. And so I can kind of go in, well, for my, to my computer, for example, and look at, you know, maybe I ought to organize these files better, get things in good shape before the new year starts. And I am always always stunned at how many files there are. And I start remembering all of the things I did across that year. I don't remember all of them, but I, you know, some of the things and it, it's, it, of course, as you get older, (laughs) there's more of that remembering that goes on. And we realize both, I think, how many small things we do that ultimately do matter in ways we didn't expect. But if you're like me, you also remember the things other people have done for you, mm. many of which are maybe small things at the time that that add up and matter. I, my wife and I often, when we're, our, our kids are adults, and when we're with them, you know, they'll go, oh, well, I remember when we did this, or y'all took us on this trip, or we did that. And I'm like, I have absolutely no memory of that, <laughs> you know. And we'll say, well, did you remember this? Which we thought was a big deal. Nah, I don't remember that. <laughs> and and so, I mean, I guess in some, what I'm saying is even in parenting, we may not always know what little things may add up to be memorable and meaningful later on, even for our kids. Maybe that's some of the wisdom that we're struggling with as we as we wrestle with this passage and try to figure out what does it mean. Um, and, and I think that's, that's such a wonderful journey to, for your groups to do as well, to, to think about what does it mean not only to increase in the quantity, the number of things we do, but the quality of things that we do to grow our faith. It's a good journey. It's one I hope we all continue to work on and learn from and share with others. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.